0: Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message grace and peace to you. Good morning, let's pray. Continuing to pray as we worship God. What a great morning so far. Lord, we do thank you for these songs that we've sung, songs that express the desires of our heart to love you, to worship you, to surrender to you, to give ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord, for the time in prayer and your scripture which speaks to us we pray Lord that as we consider all these things we would truly be like Jesus. We would be transformed. Lord, as I consider transform- transformation, I know this week we're going to have hundreds of kids and adults here serving through our church family during summer day camp. I pray Lord that seeds of faith would be planted in the hearts of kids during that week that the love of Jesus through the community of believers that faith would spring up in their lives, Or We're desperate to see that happen. And so we give this week to you. We pray, Lord, you'd be glorified through it. Pray that kids would not only have fun, but they'd be built up in Jesus. Speaking of being built up in Jesus, Lord, we desire for that to take place this morning. So we open your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak even through me. And that you would, Lord, give us a message that challenges us, encourages us, and edifies us all in Jesus' name. We pray in his powerful name. Amen. All right, so we are in the midst of our series, Be Like Jesus. We're studying the book of Philippians right now. We're in week four. Last week, we began Philippians 2. We're going to continue there this morning. So if you have your Bible, open it up. Smartphone, app, whatever it might be. You might want to take some notes. In fact, I encourage you to take notes. Not just because I feel like I'm going to say something profound. That's not it at all. It's because God's going to speak to you through his word and, and potentially through this message. So write some things down, take some notes. We want to be students of the word. You'll also see the words on the screens. Picking up in, in, in Philippians chapter two, we're gonna go back to verse five, that's where we finished last week, five through 11. And I want to show you this because this I believe is the heart of the book of Philippians. This ancient hymn speaks to us and gives us a really compelling picture of Jesus. We're going to talk about that. Go there with me. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Remember we talked about this, the mind transforming our minds, not being mindless. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. You got this picture of Jesus. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, And under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We talked last week how we have this depiction here in this passage of Jesus, the God man. The God man. Here's what I mean by God man He didn't subtract His divine nature, He's fully God. He added human nature to His divine nature. You know, people wonder, what's the big deal about Jesus? Why do people talk about Jesus so much? Why is he such an important figure? Listen, is there any other God-man? There's one God-man. Jesus is God. He came in the flesh. That's why Jesus is such a big deal. And not only did he come to earth, he's touched our lives. And so here we see this depiction. It's theological. It's beautiful in its lyrics. It's a depiction of the God-man, but not only that, We also have a picture of Jesus, the humble and exalted servant. Get this, I mean, the humbled and exalted servant, Jesus, who bore our sins on the cross and experienced the agony of the cross. Nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet, a crown of thorns thrust upon his head. The agony of the cross, he's been humbled. The rejection of his own people. His own people disowned him, sold him out. Even in that moment, the silence of the Father. Jesus was humbled. Jesus humbled himself. He experienced the humiliation of the cross. We see it depicted here in a really concise way. We just heard it as A.K. led us in in the, in the Apostles' Creed. This is the big deal, that Jesus is the humbled servant, but he's also the exalted servant because Jesus has the name above all names. God has raised him from the dead. God has exalted him above all other people. He is the super one. He is Jesus Christ. And look, this picture of Jesus, this description that we're looking at, this is the gospel, first of all, that Jesus died to pay for our sins. What no person could ever do, you can never do enough good works. You can never be good enough. Jesus paid it all. That's why we sing the song. He is our sacrifice. You feel that. He is our hiding place. Maybe you feel that this morning. He is our conquering hero. And on top of it all, Jesus is our friend. I'm going to call people, do you feel this? This is the picture of Jesus that we get in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. It's compelling. It's compelling. Look, you should spend some time here. We should spend some time here. Meditate on this scripture. Let it speak to you deeply because it all begins right here. It's all added up right here. And here should be the result of this, I think. The result should be that we have hearts that melt in love for Jesus. As we consider who he is, this great picture of of God, this great picture of the Son, the power of the Holy Spirit, that our hearts would melt in love for him. Here's what else should happen in light of this, that we would have conviction about our sin. That as we consider this holy God, this sacrificial, humble, exalted servant Jesus, that we'd also be convicted of our sin in light of who he is. I would suggest on on top of our hearts melting in love for him, having conviction that we also should have like this sense of, of being fired up, passionate, on fire for God because of what Jesus has done. I hope as you read this picture, because we're not the kind of church that says amen, I guess, but you should be the kind of people who are fired up about this. I can't tell by your faces. All right, there we go. Come on. We're getting better. We're getting better. But really, right? We should feel this. This should be something that has you like jumping out of your seat because it's compelling. The resolve it should be this. I want to continue. Let's look at verse 12. Again, you just heard this read by AK. I'm so grateful to have her leadership in the service today. Look into verse 12. Paul, in light of who Jesus is, in light of this revelation, this description of Jesus, here's what he says. He says, therefore, stop right there. We're going to get one word into this. Therefore is what he says. Now look, anytime there's a therefore, That's something that should cause us to think, right? There is always a therefore after you have a glimpse of Jesus. There's always a therefore. There's always like more. In other words, Jesus elicits a response from us. The portrait of Jesus, the description of who he is, the sight of his glory. It it, it elicits a response from us. It demands a response, I would say. So some, some years ago, When I was still living in Memphis, Tennessee, I went with a group of people to the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. If if you've ever been there, you know it's an incredible experience. If you ever go to Memphis, you should go see the National Civil Rights Museum. It's it's wonderfully done. And it's the kind of experience that elicits a response from you. When you go to the National Civil Rights Museum, there's a response that, that just like stirs up in you. And so we got in the car after we were through with the experience, and I was talking with the people that I was with, and one of the people said this. They said, well, don't you think they should just get over it? They being black Americans, shouldn't they just get over it is what they said. Now, I thought to myself, you know, this experience does elicit a response, but it's not always a response that's on the positive it's not always the, the kind of response that maybe it should elicit. Sometimes we, we elicit a response that's negative, that shows just like how far we have to go as a people. Look, it's the same with Jesus. Not everyone sees Jesus and says, Amen. Not everyone sees Jesus, this picture of him, him, the God-man, humbled, exalted, and says, I've got I've to be with that one. I've got to be in relationship with him. Some people walk right on by Some people don't give it any other thought. Look, it elicits a response. I'll tell you this. As we consider the kind of response that Jesus elicits from us, I'll tell you this. There's a rising tide in our culture. There are rising tides in our culture, I would suggest to you. If you look out over the culture, there are some things that are rising up. They're challenging people of faith. We're seeing the polarization of worldviews in these times. The polarization of worldviews, in other words, there are people who see the world through the lens of faith, and there are people who do not see the world through the lens of faith. And those two groups are far apart, and there's not much in between. In the church, actually, I believe we're seeing a confusion of worldviews. Last week, we talked about mindlessness. We talked about how so, so often we're just indoctrinated by the culture. In fact, more than half of Christians—this is from a Barna study—more than half of Christians resonate with postmodernist views. Now, here's what that means. That, that that should be something that gets your attention. That means that people would agree with something like this: people in the church. I'm talking to Christians. This means that Christians would say that what is morally right or wrong depends on what the individual believes. That's postmodernist thinking. Christians are agreeing with this. More than half of them. Or how about this? That means that that if your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, that it's wrong. That's the kind of things that Christians are are agreeing with. The tide is rising. Don't you feel it? There's rising tides in our cultures. And I'll tell you this amidst that rising tide, Jesus demands a response. (laughs) There's always a therefore after you have a vision of Jesus, when you come to faith, when you give your life to him, when you surrender to him, there's always a therefore, always a therefore. And, you know, a few years back again, my wife and I took um, a group of students, high school students, to an event, big conference. It, it was held in an arena, and there was great teaching and humor and all kinds of great stuff, great music, and they capped it all off with thousands of kids there, with this rock concert. It was really loud and everyone was into it. And so we're there and you know we're, we're singing along and pumping our fists and all this stuff on our feet. And I look over to say something to Lisa and she's sitting there in this arena with thousands of teens around her, asleep. <laughs> asleep, I mean like mouth agape asleep. It was so embarrassing. I'm like, what are you doing, woman? So like, I wake her up and she's like, She's like, sorry, it's the pregnancy. Excuses, excuses, the pregnancy. (laughs) You're right, right. She's sleeping in the middle of this event. Unbelievable, I can still picture it. You know, I wonder, I wonder, in light of the revelation of Jesus that you and I have received, what follows your therefore? We're going to get into this therefore here in a moment. What follows your therefore? Is it, I saw Jesus, I met him, I experienced his love, and therefore I kept to myself. Is that your therefore? Or is it this? Is it, you know, I met Jesus, I had this profound experience, his grace touched me, and, and therefore I lived at a distance from God? Is your therefore, you know, I met Jesus, the, the love of God touched my life, I sang a song about it, and therefore, I fell asleep. I wonder. We're going to dig into this. And look, I want to put this before you. The scripture defines what should follow our therefore. That's what we're going to get into right now. The scripture defines it for us. You want to know what the therefore should be? I'm going to give you a clue into this as we look at these scriptures. There are three ways that the picture of Jesus, that the revelation of Jesus, that the way he touches your life will change you and transform you. Let's go there now. Picking back up in Philippians 2, verse 12. I think you're with me. Let's go there. Paul says, this is the Apostle Paul who is the author of Philippians. He says, therefore, therefore, my dear brothers, in light of Jesus, in light of who he is, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Remember, Paul was imprisoned. Continue to work out your salvation." with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay, so here's the first thing. The first thing that should follow your therefore is work. You might say, okay, it's a little confusing. We often say that we're saved by faith. We are, not by work. That's true. Let's talk about these works though, okay? Because Paul here says that you are to work out your salvation work out your salvation you know there's a phenomenon that's taking place right now in our culture and it's this business owners are finding it difficult to find people who want to work that's happening in our culture right now in america hard to believe and i wonder this i wonder is this reflective of a spiritual condition is this lack of like a desire to work in the physical world going to bleed over in our kids and our youth in the spiritual world? I wonder about it. So my wife and I, we got our kids that are working papers and guess what? They got a job. We're putting them to work. We drafted them into the labor force. Yeah. Get to work, girls. I'll take fries with that. Put them to work. Right? Look, the revelation of Jesus in our lives produces and promotes work. Hang with me in here, okay? It produces and promotes work. Remember, I'm talking to people who follow Jesus. I'm talking to people who have, who have made a response to Jesus. And I'm saying this, like, it, it demands, it produces, it promotes work when you have a revelation of Jesus. That work out your salvation, it's a synonym for obedience. A synonym for obedience. That's what that phrase means in the original Greek. And really, if you see here before it, Paul alludes to this because he says, as you have always obeyed, as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation, work out your salvation. It's a matter of obedience. This is different than letting God and letting go, or letting go and letting God, rather. That's not a bad thing. We could talk about that. But in this case, this is different than that. It's not just letting go and letting God. You must work. I must work holiness is not a laborless endeavor it's something requires our participation it's hard work that demands our best energy and our great focus you wonder why you're stuck in sin you wonder why you can't overcome things it could be that you're not putting the work in work meaning denying your flesh work meaning that that you are not striving to live in community it's easier to be alone. It's easier to just go with whatever whim you have. The work comes in and say, I'm going to deny my flesh. The work comes in and say, you know what? I'm going I'm to strain to be a part of the fellowship of believers. We've been talking about that through this passage. And it says not only should we work out our salvation, continue to work out our salvation, but it says we should do so with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, now this can be confusing. You might wonder, what does that mean, fear and trembling? There are some opposite kind of thoughts that I think are dangerous that emerge when we're talking about fear and trembling. On one hand, some people drift towards the soft picture of God, the soft God. On the other hand, there are people who have the picture of the angry God. Let's talk about these for just a moment. Here, the soft God, this is almost an anemic picture of God. This is one where God's all about affirming our needs and stroking our egos. Fear and trembling totally doesn't fit with this. It seems foreign when you have an anemic, soft view of God. On the other hand, there's the angry view of God. The angry view of God where he's terrifying. Where where you think that despite your repentance and your faith, that God is just waiting to pour his wrath out on you. The angry view of God. It's a harsh view. And it's a view that looks at God as if he's an unforgiving tyrant. Look, the angry God, the soft God, I don't think that either is the way that we consider fear and trembling. What this passage, what that phrase is saying to us is that we should have a holy awe of God. That's the best description. The fear and trembling is a holy awe. Our sense of God's love, and his grace, and his glory, and his power, and his holiness, and his majesty, make us long to honor him, to please him. It's, it's a sense of holy awe about who God is. I had um, the privilege of playing for a legendary high school football coach here in western Pennsylvania. His name is George Novak. George Novak was a great coach, and, and he was there for 30 years at our school. Um, he's one of the record holders, you know, he's won a bunch of whipple titles, just had a great, great career, made an impact on a lot of people. And you might think that Coach Novak, coaching in a place uh, in the Mon Valley where there's tough kids, that he would be the kind of coach that's really harsh, and he yells at people, and he cusses them out. Look, I'll tell you this, Coach Novak did not lead our team in that way. In my years on the varsity football team, I could think of one time he raised his voice. One time. He was intense. He was focused. But raising his voice and screaming and shouting at us, I could could imagine one time, and it was actually pretty mild. I I could remember also one time that he used profanity with the team. You know, Coach Novak led us in such a way that we desired to follow his lead. We wanted to be on the same page as him. We we, we believed in him. We trusted his leadership. Look, God is much greater, of course, than any football coach. But God, I believe, in a certain sense, operates this way in our lives as well. In light of who he is, his greatness, his goodness, we desire to long, we long rather, to honor him, to please him. And and we fear to offend him, not because we think he's going to condemn us, Or smite us because we know he loves us. And nothing when you have seen this picture of God and you're desiring to to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, there's nothing that grieves you more than the thought of trampling on his love, of dishonoring who he is, of being careless and indulging sinful passions. Look, fear and trembling, fear and trembling is really all about holiness. Holiness. This working out our salvation in holy awe of who God is, it's really a pursuit of holiness. Holiness is our calling. Holiness is our duty as Christians. It's our obligation. Yet, it is not in our power alone to deal with the problem of sin. Look, the power to obey is not your own. It's God's power. Look, our sin can seem insurmountable. You ever feel that way? That your sin is just like stacked up year upon year, day upon day. It's stacked up, it's insurmountable. You might feel like your habits are unbreakable. You might feel like the pollution of your heart is beyond beyond blotting out. Understand this clearly. None of that, none of that is true. None of that's true. You know why? Why? Because God is at work in you if you are his child. If you're a child of God, then God is at work with you. So your sin is not insurmountable. So, so the darkness of your heart is not so dark that it can't be blotted out. You can break habits. Look, God is at work in you. That's what the Scripture's saying. If you're his child, that's why the scripture says that God who works in you to will and to act in, in order to fulfill his good purpose in you. You see it? He wants to incline your will to be his will. He wants to empower your action to be faithful. He wants it to be so that you work for his good pleasure. There's two truths working together here as we talk about this part of the therefore response. Therefore, we work. And there's two things that are happening here. Number one, we are truly responsible. I want you to hear that. Those who follow Jesus, those who trust in Him, those who've had the revelation of God, and and are children of God through the grace of Jesus, you are truly responsible. Yet, we do not, you do not advance a single inch in holiness apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. It's both things together, both are true. And so I say it again listen, the tide is rising. The tide is rising in the world we live in. Holiness is our duty, and it is God's promise. Holiness is our duty, and it is God's promise. We must do it. God will do it. That's the word on it. So listen, what do we do? What do we say? Therefore what? Therefore we work. Let's look at the second part. Okay, keep going in the passage. 2, 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Okay, so we've talked about what follows the therefore. Well, work follows the therefore. Now here's the second one, witness. Witness follows the therefore. And it begins with this, a picture of unity. Look, I keep on telling you that as we look at Philippians, Paul's talking not just to the individual. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the people of God together. And look, our unity, our unity is a part of our witness. The fact that we rise above difficulties, disagreements, differences is what gives the world a picture of the goodness and the power of God. Look, there's this this thing that's going on in our world today. It's called church hopping. And it's no surprise because complaining and disputing are easy. Complaining and disputing are easy, almost instinctive. And so it's born this culture of church hopping. Some of you actually may be church hopping today. If you're here today as a church hopper, welcome. We're glad you're here. (laughs) Church hoppers, welcome. But really, there's this phenomenon in the world, and you know what? Probably a lot of us have been guilty of it, where we say, you know, I don't quite like this about that church. I don't like the music. I don't don't like what that preacher has to say. I don't like the way the coffee tastes, whatever it might be. And that makes us say, I'm going to go find something else, as if there's a perfect church out there. Look, pick a spot. Get into a church family. Be a part of it, because what the word's telling us here is the complaining, the disputing, the the grumbling, the arguing are not of God. In fact, what it says is do everything without grumbling. Our unity should be a witness to the world. There's a sense in this that you get the sense that we're to bite our tongues and serve in humility, bite our tongues and serve in humility. That's hard, But, but that's what Jesus did. Let's point to his example. Look at 1 Peter 2.23 later this week, and you'll see this. It says that he was reviled, but he did not revile in return. He was hated. He was scorned. He was mocked. He didn't do it in return. He was silent. He did everything without grumbling or arguing. And we are to have the same mindset, as we've discussed, as Jesus. And so we silence our grumbling, and we get busy serving. Look, a part of our witness in the world in light of who Jesus is, in light of the revelation of Jesus, a part of, of our witness is our unity. That despite the fact that things aren't perfect in the family of God, that despite the fact there are differences, that despite the, things that, the fact that things aren't always right, that we remain unified as a people, it's a part of our witness to the world. But it's not just that. Because Paul continues and he talks about the impact. The impact. He talks about the result of Christian holiness, and how that's an effective witness, he, he says, so that you may become blameless and pure, holy, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. In other words, a world where the, ride is, the, the tide is the ride. The tide is rising. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. This reminds me of Jesus in the Book of Matthew, chapter five. Go to Matthew five with me. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16. I think this is a parallel verse in the gospel of Matthew to what we're looking at right now. Listen to Matthew 14, 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven it's talking about that work it's talking about the work of holiness look holiness cannot be hidden from a watching world that's the point here holiness the kind of thing we're pursuing as we work on our salvation with fear and trembling it becomes a witness it cannot be hidden from a watching world once again there are two things happening at once here. I want to point you to something that that Paul says here in this section. He says that instead they put, I'm sorry, going back to, that's Matthew, going back to Philippians 2, he says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That kind of imitates what Jesus says. As you hold firmly, as you hold firmly to the word of life. So there's two things happening at once. On one hand, our lives bear the mark of a person growing in the likeness of Jesus. Our lives are to bear a mark of holiness, right? We've talked about the work part. But he's adding something to it by saying, as you hold firmly to the word of life. The original language actually would say, as you hold out, as you hold, not just hold firmly to, as you hold out the word of life. And that tells me this that tells me that we must open our mouths and speak the gospel to the lost as we live in a place where the tide is rising, not only do we live as an example, our lives, again, marked by the cross, marked by the revelation of Jesus, growing in the likeness of Jesus. Not only that, we are to be people who open our mouths and speak the gospel. Do you hear me? I want you to hear this. We have got to be courageous We've got to be bold in being a witness to the world. This is a part of our therefore. And yes, it should be how we live. We should have a a holy example. We should be a unified people. But it also speaks to us sharing the gospel in word. Showing it in word. I'm sorry, expressing in word. More than just trying to be a good witness in your life. Listen, we are partners In the gospel. But I'm afraid some people become silent partners in the gospel. Silent partners in the gospel. In other words, not using your words. You might say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to say. I'm not a preacher. You don't need to be a preacher. Look, here's here's three simple things you could do to be a witness. Number one, share your story. Share your stories. You have multiple stories of how the goodness of God, we just sang about the goodness of God. And how we love to sing about it. Look, you can share your stories. That's a way that you can proclaim the gospel. By sharing the testimonies that God has given to you. Here's another thing you can do. You can share scriptures with people. You could do that via text. You can go old school and write it on an index card. You can get a tattoo with scripture on it. If you want to do that and show it to people. Hold your arm out. Here's my, here's my scripture. I want to share the word with you. But seriously, you could share the scripture with people. We have more access to today than ever. Hey, i got a Bible verse. This, I was reading this, and I thought it might encourage you. It encouraged me. I want to share this with you. You could share your testimony. You could share scripture. And here's the third thing you could do. You can pray for a person. I don't know if I've ever been rejected when I said, hey, can I pray for you? And not just because I'm a pastor, but I've prayed with people who don't know I'm a pastor. And usually they will say, yes, would you please pray for me? In fact, here's my list of prayer requests. Right, people won't reject you. You can share. The, you have to share the gospel. It's not just our, our words. You, in word, also can share the gospel. We must do that. We must do that. Let's keep on going. We've talked about the therefore. What follows the therefore? Work follows the therefore. Also, our witness follows the therefore. Here's the third part, picking up in the second half of verse sixteen. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul says, look, when I've worked out my my salvation with fear and trembling, when I have lived out the gospel and proclaimed the gospel, he says, I will be able to, to boast that I did not run or labor in vain. What a good statement. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So we've talked about, you know, the therefore, and and therefore we work, therefore we witness. Now we're talking about this third W, therefore we worship. Therefore, in light of who God is, in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ, therefore we worship. You know, this, this past week, I was given an assignment, um, an opportunity really, to read the scriptures. For, for an audio recording Bible, and add a little illumination to it. I was really glad to be a part of the project, and I was given three chapters of Scripture to read. I practiced them. I, I, I sat on my computer, and I recorded them, made sure I, I didn't sound like a total doofus, and, and it turned out okay. I was excited. I, it took me an hour. I got two of the chapters done, and I sent them off to the people that I'm working with on this, and I said, hey, how's this? Well, they wrote back to me immediately and said, oh, Craig, you're so confused. They said, you were supposed to read 2 Corinthians 7 and 8 and 9, not 1 Corinthians 7 8 9. And so I had taken that time, which, you know, just like any rest of us, it's a valuable time, and I read the wrong scriptures. Look, Paul says this. Paul says, look, don't let all my work for you be in vain. Don't let all my work, he's saying to the Philippians, I believe he says it to us also, don't let my work be for nothing. I hope, he said, I haven't wasted my time. I ask you to do this. Think about the people in your life that God has placed to share the gospel with you. Think about it. Think about the investment of God in your life. Are there pictures of people cropping up in your mind? Sunday school teachers, grandparents, neighbors, coaches, teachers. You see those faces? Look, God sent those people into your life to invest in you, to share the gospel with you. Do you show desire to, to serve Christ, to live for him in light of this investment that made in you do, you? do you desire to serve Christ, to know Christ, to honor Christ? I mean, think about the people who have prayed for you, your parents, again, your grandparents, the people of the church. Do you desire to live for God? Or is that investment that the Lord has made in your life, is it for nothing? What's it amounting to? Paul says, look, I, I want to be able to, to live my life, invest my life in such a way that I, I could say I didn't labor or run in vain. Look, and he says, I'm, I'm pouring out my life for the Philippians. He says, I'm pouring my life out for you. He compares it to a drink offering. This is language of the Old Testament sacrificial worship system. They had burnt offerings, of course, and they had meal offerings. They had sin offerings, and all of these offerings speak to God, and they speak of Christ. They're they're all meant to be and intended to be pure. Well, in the same way, a drink offering, which was an offering of wine that was poured out on the altar that drink offering, like pouring one out for your homies, right? That drink offering was, was meant to be something that was, was pure wine, not watered down. It was a pure sacrifice. Not only that, that, that wine that was used was meant to be a symbol of joy, a symbol of God's joy, a symbol of, of the worshippers' joys that come before God. So the the drink offering speaks to joy, God's joy at the accomplishment of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Our joy and making an offering to him. And Paul is saying, look, I'm pouring my life out like a drink offering. Pure, pursuing holiness, joyously. In other words, he is living his whole life. His whole life is offered to God as a kind of sacrifice, a joyous sacrifice, a joyous sacrifice of worship. And he wants the Philippians and for us to join him in such a life. Our life is to be poured out for God's glory, like a drink offering, pure, joyfully, as an act of worship to him in pursuit of a life of holiness. And joyful surrender to Jesus. Once again, two things come together. You you think about worship, and you might think, well, well, worship, that's a matter of Sunday morning services. That's what we're doing right now. Whether we're online or in this room, worship is Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week, well, that's when holiness is pursued. That's me doing the right thing the rest of the week. Look, I think we're looking at it wrong. Holiness is about the good pleasure of God, period. Doesn't matter if it's a Sunday morning in a sanctuary or out in the world. Holiness is about the good pleasure of God, period. That's what it's about. You remember the Westminster Catechism? There's this great question. It says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It says nothing about music. It says something about a Sunday morning service. Worship doesn't end with the benediction. In fact, all that we do on Sunday morning is hollow if it doesn't come from people who have a heart that's set on living a life of, of sacrificial, joyous offering to the Lord 24-7. So what follows our therefore in light of Jesus? Well, therefore, we work. We work our salvation with fear and trembling in awe of who God is. Therefore, we witness As a unified people, rising above our differences, as a light to the world, therefore, our lives are lived as an act of worship. I want to tell you a quick story. There were two Margarets who who faced the rising tide. We talked about rising tides this morning. If you go back to 17th century Scotland, there were two women one, a 70-year-old widow named Margaret McLaughlin, and then an 18-year-old Margaret named Margaret Wilson. And both of these women were tried for their faith. They were tried because they wouldn't bow down to the state. They wouldn't bow down to the king. And so they were, they were found guilty, and they were sentenced And their sentence was to be drowned at sea. And so they put these women, they tied them to posts, posts that were staked into the sea. And as the tide was rising, they watched them and they insulted them. They gave them the opportunity to recant their faith and to say, no, with that rising tide coming, I won't follow Jesus. I'll bow to the state, I'll bow to the king but they wouldn't recant. They stood firm. You see, their therefore was strong. Their therefore, the two Margarets, was so strong, the work of salvation in their lives, their witness to the world, even in death being an act of worship, that they stood firm to the very end. What follows your therefore? In light of who Jesus is, What do you say? What will be said of us? Therefore, what? The two Margarets? Look, they faced the rising tide. They faced it. And their therefore was firmly in place. How about you? How about us? Today, as we close, here's what I want to give us the opportunity to do. Something that I believe is the most powerful thing we can do. Is to turn to God and pray. As we consider the picture of Jesus, the revelation of Him, as we consider how we live our lives in light of Him, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, witnessing to the world, a life of worship, why don't we turn to Him and ask Him for greater passion, for greater conviction, for greater love. Let's turn to Him and ask for strength to work, for courage to witness, for faith to worship, I think that would be the right approach for us as we consider these words. Would you join me in prayer, please? Oh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, let's make it be clear. We know that apart from faith, we cannot stand before you. We know, Lord, that it's not by works so that none of us could boast, but that by grace, by faith, through faith, We have been saved in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. And as we consider this picture of Jesus, the God-man, the one who was humiliated at the cross on our behalf, the one whom you've exalted, a name above all names, we say, God, therefore, help us work out our salvation. We come before you with fear and trembling and holy awe We say, God, help us to be a witness to the world. We say, God, help us to live a life that is one big act of worship. Oh, God, would you give us a greater passion? Would you give us a greater conviction? Would you give us greater love? Lord, give us the strength to work. Lord, give us the courage to witness. God, give us the faith to worship you. Maybe in the quietest of this room as Brad strums on the guitar, you might pick one of those out and say, God, therefore, I want to work. Lord, give me the strength to work. Give me a greater conviction. You might say, God, give me the courage to witness Give me a greater passion. You might say, God, I'm all in. I want to pour out my life like a drink offering. Like, Lord, give me a greater love. Give me the faith to live a life of worship. Lord, thank you for Jesus. It all begins with him. It all ends with him. In light of who he is, We desire, Lord, to live for you fully. Help us, Lord, to be like Jesus. Pray all this in his name. Together we say, amen.